onset of starlight from flashbangs and frag grenades by Calchaxis read by Sam Gabriel based on League of Legends by Riot Games Chapter 3 A Traitorous Heart Part 2 They walked in silence through the empty halls and initially Seraphine tried to keep track of all the twists and turns they took through Renata's spire headquarters. Eventually she gave up as it occurred to her that the woman might just be doubling back to mess with her. There was no telling what was going on in Renata Glask's head, so Seraphine made the conscious decision to stop trying to read her. There was no point. Between the two of them, it was no secret who was the better dissembler. Better to just take things as they came— in the end, she was here for her parents, and if that meant playing Glask's games, then she would play as many of them as the older woman wanted. As they neared another large set of doors, Renata reached to her pockets and drew out her mask. It enfolded the lower half of her face with a soft click, and suddenly the image of the intractable director of Glask Industries was back in place. They emerged into a lobby much like the one on the surface, Although this one was clearly intended for Zonites and Zonites only, the people who worked here were all dressed in the latest undercity business fashion, and all of them stayed well clear of the two of them. That was when it hit her that Glask was displaying her. Look here, she said without a word. Look who's come to visit. It was stupid to hope that the people in this building weren't aware of what had happened to Seraphine's parents. So seeing her on Glask's arm like a high-class escort probably said volumes. The older woman was making a point of ensuring that everyone knew precisely where the two of them stood. Fine, let them make those assumptions. Between pride and family, Seraphine knew which one she'd choose. Smile, kitten, Renata said lightly. We wouldn't want people to think you're here under duress. Seraphine pressed her lips to a thin line and said, I am here under duress, and everyone knows it. Of course they do. But it's a matter of appearances, so smile. Swallowing back her gorge, Seraphine forced herself to smile. If there was one thing she could be thankful for, it was that she couldn't tell what everyone else thought of her. Normally she could get a read on a crowd's mood just by listening to their songs, but not this time. Not this close to Renata Glask. She didn't have a song. She had a symphony. It was all brass and thunderous percussion. Cannons and drums overwhelmed everything else. Whenever she walked, every other song fell violently into step with hers, dragged forcefully into her orchestral personality seemingly without effort. In the thrum of that invisible choir, Seraphine allowed herself to be led out of the lobby and onto the neon-lit landing outside of Glask Spire. It was a mirror to the landing above in Piltover, but seen through a mirror darkly. There was a long-bodied armored cab waiting for them, and Renata led her to the door, before chivalrously opening it for her. Thank you, Seraphine said softly as she slipped inside. Of course, Renata replied. Extortion is no excuse for bad manners, after all. She closed the door, and moved around to the other side of the cab to join her inside. Take her to the Wellsprit Mines, Charles. The driver cleared his throat and said in a clipped Noxian accent, 
Maltfrit minds it is director and, um, it's Chuck. Isn't that short for Charles? Renata asked as she reached over and laid a hand possessively onto Seraphine's leg. Not sure, actually, since it was Jinx that gave me the name, he replied with a weak laugh. Ah, oh, well, Chuck it is, then. Renata leaned back in the plush leather interior of the cab and took her hand from Seraphine's leg. The vehicle rumbled to life and took off down the straightaway leading away from the foundations of the spire. The Glasgari ward of Zaun was probably one of the most well-kept and, frankly, gentrified of all the city. The greater filtration systems built in and around the chasm of the ward actually worked and were regularly kept up. The streets were relatively free of trash, and the crime rate in the area was actually lower than in some parts of Piltover, probably because all the crime was being committed by the woman who owned the place. Renata Glask was famous for disliking competition, after all. I thought I was being given a tour of Glask Industries, Seraphine asked after several minutes of chilly silence. The mines are a crucial part of those industries, Renata replied casually. Without them, there would be no Glask Industries, and they provide a crucial frame of context for your upcoming tour. I've never heard someone pronounce air quotes before. I'm a woman of many talents, Renata replied. Seraphine bit back a snide remark, play the game, she had to play the game. Whatever she had to do, whatever strings she needed to allow Glask to jerk her around on, it didn't matter. She had no one else to turn to. When can I see my parents? she asked after another stretch of silence. Soon, kitten, soon, Renata replied. Do you have to call me that? Renata didn't reply, but despite the presence of her filtration mask, Seraphine could tell she was smiling. It was more than just the edges of her eyes crinkled. It was in the swell of her song, rising in triumph with her mood. Seraphine couldn't help but wonder if Glask always sounded like that, or if she was just feeling particularly pleased with herself. She had the feeling it was the former. They spent the rest of the ride in silence that was broken only as the vehicle came to a languid stop, and Chuck announced their destination. Waltzbert Mines, he said, switching off the engine. Oh, if you hear then, Director? Please do. Thank you, Chuck, Renata replied as she let herself out, swept imperiously around the rear of the vehicle, and opened Seraphine's door for her before holding out her arm again. Seraphine took it with as much grace as she could manage. They were far from the filters, and the air was thick and metallic, and was only growing thicker as they approached the mine. You know, we must get you something nicer to wear, Renata remarked as their feet crunched along the gravel path towards the gaping maw of the primary mine shaft. The way those words were said, as if her sustained presence was a given, put a chill down Seraphine's spine, and she grimaced. I'm not... A doll for you to play dress-up with, Director Glask, she said as she dragged in gulps of air. Not yet, Renata replied, her eyes still on Seraphine. They barely made it to the mouth of the mine before she had to stop. Her lungs were seizing and clenching around spoiled, stagnant air. She couldn't breathe and could barely see straight. At this rate, Zahn itself was going to kill her simply by dint of her being too weak to exist in its atmosphere. She dropped to a knee, 
and shame burned in her belly as she realized it was only Renata's arm that was keeping her from falling face first into the dirt. Where is your mask? Renata asked as she came to a stop. I, I didn't... I didn't think I'd need one, Seraphine gasped. Idiot. Renata hauled her upright, one-armed by the back of the collar until they were eye to eye. You're no daughter of Zahn, whatever your pithy and vacuous speeches claim. This low air is not yours to breathe. With her other hands, she pulled her filtration mask free, turned it about, and pressed it to Seraphine's face. The wraparound metal flanks of the mask fitted and sealed themselves around her narrower cheeks, and a moment later the filters engaged, and Seraphine's lungs flooded with clean air. Her head swam and her vision doubled as the rush of oxygen to her starving brain hit her hard, and she clung to Renata's arm to keep herself upright. Remember this moment, kitten, Renata said softly, speaking and breathing in the fumes of the mine without trouble. The moment that Mother Zahn rejected you. I don't care, Seraphine rasped forcing herself to look Renata in the eye. She's still my mother. And something happened. A stutter in the endless, percussive symphony of Glask's soul. Her expression hadn't changed, and those chem-scorched eyes were still boring down into Seraphine's own, and her face was still solid, dark, and marble-stiff. But her soul had shuddered, just slightly, at Seraphine's words. Then stand up, Renata said, finally, swallowing back bile that had been rising as she'd tried and failed to breathe under her own power. Seraphine forced her trembling legs to straighten, got her arm around Renata's again, and took her place. So, Seraphine said, perhaps a touch more shakily than she might have liked. Are we going to tour the mine or not? One dark eyebrow crooked upwards, but, unexpectedly, Renata didn't take her to task over her tone. She simply nodded and picked up the pace, and Seraphine did her best not to stumble as she walked alongside her. The mine was a hellhole, and that was putting it nicely. Everywhere she looked were the half-dead dregs of Zahn chipping away carefully at exposed sections of the mine walls, scouring veins of metal for those rare elements used in Renata's perfumes and other sundry products. The metals are of limited use, Renata said, explaining in cool, clinical terms how the bottom floor of her business ran. Mostly it's sold through third parties, but this mine's purpose is not to wrench chunks of crude ore from the walls. That's merely a side effect. A side effect of what? Seraphine asked trying to contain her horror at the working conditions she was looking at. It was all legal, of course, thanks to the Piltoven Council's rampant policies of safety deregulation for the sake of increased production. The various mining conglomerates could both practically and literally get away with murder. The worst part was that so long as the Council's various accounts were being filled and their shareholders kept happy, it would stay that way. This... Renata said, stopping in a nearby auto-sieve and plucking out a small, dusky crystal. Is Isper, 
and that acts as a binding agent for most of my cosmetics. She passed the small stone to Seraphine, who took it carefully, and it felt like she was holding a stone made of solid air. It's non-toxic, which is important to my clientele, and it keeps everything from perfumes to colognes to foundations and more from wearing off or peeling away for twice as long as the usual cocktail of additives other companies use. All this, Seraphine muttered hollowly as she stared at the little dark rock. To make your cosmetics waterproof? Half of the workers in the mine lacked any kind of respirator or filtration mask at all, and those that did have them seemed to be barely keeping them functional. Honestly, she'd have been shocked if their filters had been changed out in the last week. Seraphine turned to glare up at Renata. You saw that, she spat, the filter turning her voice to a harsh metallic rasp. How can you do this to your own people? That eyebrow crooked skyward again. Would you rather the Piltovens do it to us instead? Because that's the other option. Or you could do better, Seraphine snapped. Why should I? Before Seraphine could reply, Renata stepped past her and stalked up behind one of the workers, who was desperately trying to pretend that the director of the company he was practically enslaved to wasn't all but breathing down his neck. He was a bald, hunched man that appeared somewhere between age twenty-five and sixty, thanks to the cruel brutalities of mine work and life on Zahn's bottom rung. You, Renata said calmly, and the man froze. Look at me. To his credit, he didn't hesitate. But Seraphine suspected that was only because his fear of looking at her was outweighed by the sheer terror of what might happen if he disobeyed. At Renata's command, he turns to look up at her. The lower half of his face was pocked and shriveled from breathing the fumes of the mine. Miner's mouth, they called it. Most miners lost their teeth quickly thanks to it, and many of them eventually choked to death as their lungs corroded from within. I'm exploiting you. Are you aware of that? She said with the air of someone reciting their grocery list. I, I... Yes? He croaked. Seraphine suspected that the only thing keeping him from breaking out into tears was the idea that Renata probably hated it when people cried. Good, Renata replied. Because I am. Now. She reached out and coolly adjusted his gritty, sweat-stained tunic. Do you know the difference between my exploitation of you and that of a topsider? The miner looked pleadingly over Renata's shoulder at Seraphine, but Renata caught his chin in the cold grasp of her chemtech arm and dragged him back to face her. Ah, 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 we're talking. Don't be rude. So, do you know the difference? He shook his head as he finally cracked a sob. The difference, Renata started, is that when I exploit you for everything you have, her hand closed around his neck, and she heaved him up and pinned him to the wall and roared, I'll do it while looking you in the eye. Stop! Seraphine ran to Glask and wrapped an arm around her prosthetic elbow, but she couldn't get it to budge. Glask ignored her and continued to speak to the miner. You are a coin in my pocket. 
A grain of black powder dropped into the case of a single bullet. You amount to nothing more than a stick of kindling I will use to help burn Piltover to the ground. Do you understand that? He nodded frantically as he scraped at her hand, and finally Renata let go. He fell to the ground in a lump, coughing thick wads of phlegm from his abused throat. Good. Now get back to work, Renata said, putting her back to the man. Let me see to him first, Seraphine spat, as she knelt by the man and looked him over, then laid a hand on his chest. There was a wet, ugly rattle under her palm. Taking in a deep breath through the filter, she pulled it off, then raised her voice in a clear, chiming note. For a moment the air seemed to thin to something almost breathable, and the light filtered out from her and flowed around the emaciated man. Enough! Renata reached out and dragged her away from him, tore the filter from her hand, and pressed it back to her face, and the seal clicked and snapped into place. Stop, let me— Do you want to see your parents or not? Renata asked coldly, still gripping her chin. I— Seraphine stuttered. Tears burned behind her eyes as she stared up into those virulent embers of Renata's, then looked back down at the miner, who was pushing himself shakily to his knees and grasping for his tools. Cruel. This was far too cruel. Priorities, kitten, Renata said, drawing Seraphine's attention back to her. We all have them. No need to be ashamed. She let go of the filter and held out her arm. So, what will it be? Tears cut lines through the faint patina of dust that had started to build up on Seraphine's face. It would be so easy to just spit on her face, to throw her filter back at her and do her damnedest to help these poor people. Instead, she reached out and took Renata's arm. Good girl, Renata said as she led her out of the mine towards the waiting car. What was the point of that? Seraphine asked wetly. If you're trying to convince me that you're a soulless monster, let me assure you that you don't have to make the effort. Renata chuckled as she opened the cab door for Seraphine and helped her in. Not at all, she said, then closed the door and moved around to the other side to join her. As she was slipping in beside Seraphine, she continued, saying, I brought you here to make a point. That you aren't just a traitor, you're a hypocrite, just like everyone else who lives topside. I tried to help. Seraphine spat, and this time she did tear the filter off and shoved it back at Renata. You did, Renata agreed as she took it and fitted it back over her face. And found them wanting. And then, the moment that help interfered with your priorities, you decided it was not worth it. You weighed their lives against the lives of your parents and found them wanting. Seraphine licked her lips and wiped desperately at her eyes, trying to clear away her tears, but they just kept coming. That's not fair, she sobbed. You're just being cruel. So I am, 
But Zahn is cruel, and Piltover is crueler. And I told you why I brought you here, didn't I? She leaned back in her seat and crossed one leg over the other. For context, Seraphine parroted. What context? Chuck, take us back to the spire, please. As you say, Director, Chuck replied. Answer me, Seraphine shouted. The vehicle hummed as Chuck pulled it out from where he had parked it and brought it back onto the narrow street. Renata ignored the teary glare she was getting as the mine slowly vanished behind them, but eventually she turns to look Seraphine in the eye again. Context, dear kitten, is crucial, she said. You wish to sing our peoples into unity, Piltoven and Zonite. You believe that if we could only understand one another, we would find our common ground, and there would be peace. There would be peace, Seraphine said through a clenched jaw. Renata shook her head. What you saw today is repeated ad nauseum throughout Zon, in my own minds and in all of the others. Does that to you smack of a simple lack of understanding? Some of the wind went out of her, and Seraphine drew back as she tried to formulate a response. In a way, it would have been easier if Renata hadn't let her, if she had simply talked over her. Instead, the infuriating woman just watched as Seraphine fumbled and tried to come up with an argument that didn't sound hopelessly naive. Because yes, of course Renata had a point. It was more than just a lack of understanding, it was willful apathy. The people of Piltover didn't just not understand Zahn, they didn't want to understand Zahn. If they did, then that would mean understanding that they were living on top of a machine that was fueled by corpses. Of course they didn't want to understand that, no one would. That doesn't mean you have to add to it, Seraphine said, finally. That doesn't give you a free pass to be a part of the problem. Progress is built on bones and blood, kitten. And the Council of Piltover is well aware of that fact. I'm simply doing the same thing they are, except I am much, much better at it. I make no apologies for my atrocities in pursuit of my goals, nor do I make any excuses. For perhaps the first time since she was a little girl, Seraphine found cause to resent her gift. Ignoring the fact that if she didn't have it, she likely wouldn't be in this situation at all. If it were not for her gift, then she wouldn't be able to hear the agony and hatred being played by bloody fingers through Glask's brass symphony of a soul. She was so angry, and she was in so much pain. It was an old pain, too, the pain of wounds that never properly scarred the pain of bones that had been broken only to heal crooked. None of that excused the horrors that she had perpetrated, of course. Renata Glask had ruined countless lives and destroyed whole families. She was part of a system designed to produce misery on an industrial scale, and yet, yet she was like a rogue gear, a piece of the machine that was actively trying to tear it apart from the inside out. The only problem with that was that doing so would destroy her as well. Of course, she probably had a plan for that. Some way to profit from it or secure herself a nice golden parachute. Surely she did. 
except that Seraphine wasn't sure of that. Granada was in her fifties by most accounts. Even given her chemical enhancements, Zonite life was still hard and fast and brutal. Very few lived to her age, and fewer still did so with any kind of success. It would have taken a singular, nearly self-destructive drive to push through that pain. You don't have to do it like this, Seraphine said quietly. I truly believe that our people can be one. I am well aware that you believe that. But believing something does not make it so, and even if you're right... Renata turned her heads to regard Seraphine coldly. It is not the people I'm concerned with. That, at the very least, Seraphine could not find it in herself to argue with. Renata Glask, for all her wickedness, was not the progenitor of those horrors. The Council had happily paved the way to produce people like Glask in droves, exploitative, capitalistic predators drunk on the wine of meritocratic advancement. Impilt over success was a virtue, which made things like failure and poverty as sin, regardless of whether or not the sinner had any control over it. In the end, for all the bright dreams of progress, the meritocracy of Piltover was really just a competition to find out who could be the cruelest, greediest, and most amoral of them all. And Renata Glask was winning. They pulled up beside the spire at the edge of the sidewalk right where they'd left from, and Renata put on her chivalrous performance again, offering Seraphine a hand and then an arm. Seraphine moved as if in a daze, only passingly aware of the city around her and of Renata moving them through the lobby of her headquarters. She allowed herself to be towed mutely through the halls, before finally reaching her office study. Renata pushed the door open and led Seraphine to the chalons by the table. Sit, she said. Lacking both the will to argue and any other ideas, Seraphine sat. Renata went to a cupboard, built into part of one of the shelves, opened it, and pulled out a crystal decanter and a pair of glasses, which she brought to the table, before filling both and passing one of the glasses to Seraphine. I'm not really in the mood for alcohol, Seraphine said. It's water, Renata replied. Seraphine blinked lazily, looked down at the glass, then took it up and sniffed at the liquid. It was actually water, the cleanest, clearest, purest water that she had ever seen, in fact. Taking a seat in the armchair across from Seraphine, Renata took off her filtration mask, set it aside, sipped at her drink, then said, Now let's dispense with the games and get to the negotiation, shall we? What do you want? Seraphine asked. I want your voice added to the Glask inventory. That, at least, came as no surprise to Seraphine. What else could Renata have possibly asked of her? She was already a champion of Zahn, after all. She had chosen the city below rather than the city above as her cause. In truth, Seraphine knew she had precious little else to offer. And my parents? They'll go free? Of course not. But they'll be given fine accommodations, and all of their needs and wants will be met. You'll do as all good daughters wish they could, and secure their parents a comfortable retirement. 
Renata replied before taking another sip of her water. Truthfully, that wasn't a bad deal. As much as she hated it, she wasn't even sure she wanted her parents to go back to Piltover. She was terrified that if they did, there might be some kind of reprisal. The council would want to know what they had said, whether or not they had revealed anything, and as much as she hated to think it, she knew that the things the council would do to get that information could and would be monstrous. But it still wasn't fair. Her parents didn't deserve to live the wretch of their lives at the mercy of another. No, Seraphine said. No, Renata echoed, lowering her glass. And here I thought you had your priorities straight, kitten. I do, so I want more, Seraphine replied, looking back up at Renata with a scowl. You'll let my parents go somewhere safe and hidden, here in Zorn, where they can live comfortably and peacefully, and then you will leave them alone. Why would I do that? Renata breathed. Because if you don't, Seraphine bit out, then I will shriek this whole room down on top of us, and I will take you and as much of your horrible nightmare of a company out with me as I can. Seraphine lost something in saying those words because she knew that she meant them. You're a monster, Renata Glask, she continued. I don't mind dying if it means killing a monster. And if your parents are in this building, too? Renata asked calmly, setting her glass back down onto the table. They would understand. Seraphine held the gaze of the director of Glask Industries for a long moment. Her blood was pounding in her ears, almost deafening her to the point that she couldn't tell where the symphonic hammer of Glask's soul song ended and her own thundering heartbeat began. Then Renata started to laugh. It was a low, husky contralto that started deep in her chest and bubbled up out of her, and Seraphine bristled. You think I'm bluffing? she snapped. Renata held up one hand in a forestalling plea while she gripped the arm of her chair with the other as she shook with mirth. Tears were actually trickling down her face as her perfectly coiffed hair fell messily around it as she shook uncontrollably. By the time Renata finally got her breath back, Seraphine found her initial anger faded and replaced with pure confusion. Renata rubbed at her cheeks, clearing away the tears as the occasional chuckle escaped her lips. <sighs> I haven't laughed like that since I was a little girl, Renata gasped. Fine, done. I'll send your parents off with a fat purse somewhere no one will find them and I'll leave them be. Seraphine blinked in confusion. What? She furrowed her brow. Just, just like that. Just like that, Renata repeated. Anything else? No, I, I don't think so, Seraphine replied. Well, be sure to let me know if you think of anything, Renata said blithely. You're aware, of course, that you will not be going with them, nor back to your apartment, yes? Yes. Good, Renata said. And you're aware, of course, Seraphine echoed tightly, that I can still make good on my threat if I find out you lied, or if you try to make me do something horrible, yes? Renata's full mouth curved into a lupine smile. 
Yes, I am, she said lightly. But don't worry your pretty little pink head about that, kitten. I trust that you'll do what's right in the end. Seraphine grimaced and said, Why would you trust me? For that matter, why give in like that? Why just let them go? Would you rather I hadn't? No. Then why are you arguing? Renata asked. Because it had been too easy. It had been far, far too easy, and it was making her sick to her stomach that she had done something wrong, and eventually she realized the only way she could say that was to say it. Because that was too easy, Seraphine said, before asking, What did I do wrong? Renata shrugged, picked up her water, drained it, and then set it back down before saying, Absolutely nothing. I just realized that I don't need your parents as leverage. So there was nothing to lose and everything to gain in releasing them. What's that supposed to mean? Although even as she asked that question, a part of her was terribly afraid that she didn't want to know the answer. Steepling her fingers and reclining back in her chair, Renata looked pensive for a long moment. But she never looked away from Seraphine. Not once. Those strange, vicious embers of poisonous violet burned inside of her sockets with an intensity that caught the air in Seraphine's throat, until Renata finally broke the silence. I misjudged you, she said. And understand that I do not do that often, so this is a rare occurrence. Tell me, in honest, and with my promise that your parents are free to go with all my blessings— were you bluffing? Licking her dry, chapped lips. Seraphine considered lying, but discarded that notion almost immediately. She had the feeling that Renata would know if she tried. No, Seraphine said. I wasn't. I didn't think so, Renata said. That's why I trust you to keep to your word and remain at my side. I don't understand. Because you were ready to die. If it meant getting your vengeance and killing a cruel and horrible monster responsible for the deaths of countless Zonites, Renata said. And a stone settled deep in Seraphine's gut at her words and at the way that wolfish smile grew fractionally wider. That's... I... Seraphine stammered as her stomach twisted. I did, that That's not what I meant. Yes, Renata said. It is. Because you're angry. Just like me. I'm nothing like you, Seraphine spat. Renata Glask's smile softened to something more human, and she shrugged again before refilling her glass and taking it up again. Time will tell, she said. Now, regarding your parents' placement, I hear Billowai is nice this time of year. In the end, Seraphine's goodbyes to her parents were short, but only by necessity. They needed to be moved yesterday, by Renata's words, and to Seraphine's surprise, she had spared no expense in making sure they made it to their new home safely. You'll visit, though, won't you? Lena Arctura pleaded, grasping her daughter's hands tightly. That woman must let you come visit at least once in a while. I'll try, Mama, 
Seraphine promised. We'll be safe, her father said. She assured us that there would be no reprisals for our part in Piltover's plot. There was a quaver in Tolvis's voice that suggested to his daughter that he wasn't quite sure he believed that, but at this point neither of them had much choice. Officially, Billawa was a town large enough to be a ward of Zaun in and of itself, albeit unrecognized by Piltover. Unofficially, it was now the Bellowick of Jinx, and when Seraphine had learned that, she had been apoplectic. Renata had promised her, though, that she had been in contact with the loose cannon and her wife, whom Seraphine had yet to meet and wasn't sure she wanted to, and that, with the information her parents had given up, all was forgiven. They weren't the ones who had masterminded it, after all. It was Camille Ferris, and she was the one that they truly held a grudge against. Everything will be fine, Papa. I promise. Seraphine hugged her father tight and buried her face against his shoulder. Tolvis Arctura had never been a large man, but he was her father, and that lent him a certain size in her eyes regardless. He held her close, as he always did, and patted her back, and Seraphine promised him quietly that she would come and see their new shop as soon as she could. She had no idea when that would actually be, of course, but that day would come. She was certain of it. She would make certain of it. All right, let's get the lead out came the bored voice of the mercenary that Renata had brought in to lead the delivery. Thank you, Seraphine said, turning to the merc. Thank you for taking care of my parents. Hey, I'm just doing the job, the woman said with an easy shrug. Anything to get me out of the old lady's pocket. And if this milk run is what she wants to blow a favor on, I'll take it. I wouldn't call it a milk run, Samara dear. Renata rasped through her filter as she emerged from the shadows and into the light of the cavernous loading bay where they were slated for departure. Those two are loose ends of Clan Ferris, so don't. She reached out and tapped the finger of her prosthetic against Samira's chest. Let me catch you slacking. Whatever you say, Samira replied with a vulpine grin before turning to her parents. All righty, lady and gents. The goodbyes are officially over and we're leaving now. Do not make me drag you out of here. Seraphine snagged one last hug each from her parents before retreating back to Renata's side. From there, she watched her parents taken from the bay in the rear of a heavily armored vehicle made to look like one of Glask's usual delivery cabs. She watched until they were out of sight, and then watched a little longer. You don't have to stay. And leave a pretty young thing like you alone in the dark, in Zaun. What kind of bore do you take me for? Renata asked, idly examining the nails of her prosthetic. You're shameless, Seraphine said flatly, finally looking away from the gate of the bay to glare up at her. And you're mine, Renata replied as she reached out to grip her chin gently. Seraphine endured it as she kept her glower fixed on Renata Glask who was almost audibly smiling beneath her filter, and said, Don't get your hopes up, because I'm not done. That eyebrow arched upward again. Oh? Renata let go of her chin, only to stroke one cool metal finger along Seraphine's cheek. Do tell, kitten. You said I'm just like you. That I'm angry. Well, you're right, I am angry. Seraphine reached up grabbed that metal claw and jerked it away from her face. And she was fully aware that she only managed it because Renata allowed her to. That didn't stop her from taking a step forward, 
going up on her tiptoes and getting right in Glask's face. But you know what else that means. Renata reached up and pulled her mask away so she could favor Seraphine with the full curve of her smile. What's that, kitten? That if I'm like you, then that goes both ways. Seraphine didn't bother to keep the shadow of her own smile off her face as she relaxed back down onto her flats. That means that buried under all that miserable bitch, you might actually be a little like me, too. Renata's expression hardened, and the violet of her eyes burned even more fiercely for a brief moment. Then she brought her real human hand up and laid the pad of her thumb across Seraphine's lips and said, And what exactly do you think that means, hmm? Seraphine relaxed and laid her hand across Renata's, but didn't pull away. I don't know yet, but I'm not leaving you until I find out. A bitter laugh escaped Renata. <laughs> Why? Do you want to save me? No, Seraphine said quietly. I, I want to try and save me. The humor faded from Renata's face, and she brushed her fingers along Seraphine's face again, more gently this time, then turned and held out an arm. I'll show you to your room. Swallowing thickly, Seraphine nodded, took Renata's arm, and said, Lead the way. The text of this story is available on AO3. Music by Dot Matrix. If you would like me to record a story, voiceover, or character, get in touch using the contact information available on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as a link to my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.